All right. Well, we've been going through a series, of, a preaching series, a message series this winter slash spring, uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, most famous uh, sermon ever preached, a sermon preached by Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, if you've ever wondered, what's the kingdom of God a- a- about? What's the kingdom of heaven like? Uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus and live in the kingdom? The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the kingdom of God. Right before Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that Jesus in Matthew 4, 23, he was, he was going around the, the area, the countryside, teaching about the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. We subtitled the series, Life in the Kingdom. Life in the Kingdom. Now, if you've ever tipped your toe into life in the kingdom. If you've ever been part of the faith or walked uh, as a follower of Jesus, you have experienced, you have experienced the great anticipation and, uh, and hopes fulfilled in your faith. And undoubtedly, if you have ever considered faith or you've been in the faith for any length of time, you have likewise experienced the, uh, uh, the, the devastation of those same hopes and anticipation going unfulfilled. And probably in no other arena or area do we experience this, this tension in the faith than maybe the area of prayer. You know, prayer is a polarizing aspect of our faith. Undoubtedly, there's been times in your life where you prayed for something and you begged God for something and he came through in the way that he answered his prayer, your prayer and he answered it the way that you had prayed and it built your faith and it built your confidence in God. It was thrilling. And probably likewise, there's some of you that you prayed and you begged God for things. In fact, you begged God for good things, godly things. And God never answered the prayer the way that you had hoped he would answer the prayer. And it left you devastated. It left you wondering about faith. It maybe nailed the last nail in the coffin of your faith. And you're like, what's the point of following God? And probably for some of us, we've experienced both. So it just leaves us confused. What do we do with faith? What do we do with prayer? I mean, sometimes I pray and it seems God hears me. And sometimes I pray and he doesn't hear me. And sometimes I pray and he answers my prayer. And sometimes I pray and he doesn't answer my prayer. I don't, maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe prayer doesn't even work. Well, if God, if you knew that God heard your prayers and would act on your behalf as a result of them, would it change anything for you? If you knew, when I pray, my prayers don't stop at the ceiling. When I pray, God actually hears them. And not, does, not only does he hear them, but he actually does something about it. Would it change anything? Obviously, the answer is yes. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to push and encourage us to do just that, to not stop praying, to believe and keep praying. And he's going to tackle this question of what about when God doesn't answer our prayers? What do we do with the questions we have regarding 
how God responds. In essence, what Jesus is going to show us is that your heavenly Father is both good and he's also good to you. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 7. And we're starting in verse 7, and here's how Jesus puts it all together. Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. In essence, Jesus is saying is, hey, as you live in the kingdom, as you step a foot in the faith, the initiative is on you to ask, to seek, and to knock. And when you do, your prayers, your asking, seeking, knocking, don't hit the ceiling. Things actually happen. He says this, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is Jesus' way of saying, when you ask and seek and knock, things actually happen. God not only hears you, but he acts on it. But this leaves us with a couple questions, doesn't it? And probably some questions you have. Here's a couple questions I think that this leaves us with. First of all, is there something important about the ask, seek, knock, or are they just, Jesus just saying the same thing? And then secondly, is God so stingy? And this comes from the answer to this question. Is God so stingy that we, if we don't persistently beg, he won't give us what we ask for? And what if he doesn't give us what we ask for. What do we do with what Jesus just said? Well, relating to the first question, is there something uh, important about the ask, seek, and knock? Now, there is. In English, we have ask, seek, knock, but uh, literally what it should say, because this is a present tense verb, it's an action verb, uh, word, an action word or action words that are present, meaning they're happening continuously. What this should actually read, and it wouldn't sound right in English, which is why we have it, ask, seek, knock, but it should say asking, seeking, knocking. So in essence, asking, seeking, and knocking are not just something we did once or we do right now. It's actually a posture of our very lives. This is what life in the kingdom is. Jesus is saying, as you do life in the kingdom, you take a posture. You don't do this. This is a posture you take, this posture of asking, seeking and knocking. And sometimes we're like, well, I asked once and God didn't you know, answer my prayer. And you know, maybe I'm asking right now, but Jesus is saying, I want you to take a posture of this, asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, maybe you think, man, if I did that, that would just wear me out, right? I mean, that would be so tiring if I have to live this life of constantly asking and constantly seeking and constantly uh, uh, knocking. I'm going to get wore out. You would if it's something you do. You won't if it's a posture of your entire life. Think of it this way. One of the great needs we all have is the need for food. I mean, you can't survive. We all agree Without food, we don't physically survive. Now, none of us, although we have this desperate need for food, none of us get wore out because we have to eat three times a day, right? It's not like, oh man, I gotta eat again. I'm just so wore out from eating. No, I mean, you get wore out if you're the one in charge of figuring out what you're gonna eat three times a day. Like, that just gets tiring, right? But the actual act of eating, I mean, it's not like, oh man, I'm getting wore out because I gotta eat, No, it's a posture of your life. You have this posture. We have this posture of need, physical need to food. And we don't get wore out. In fact, 
When we eat, it's something that is often tied to celebration. We celebrate, we have ice cream trucks that show up, right? I mean, we're like, like whoa, this is going to be fun. We, we have like Christmas and we're celebrating. We make a big turkey. Food is something that nourishes, gives us life. It gives us joy. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, asking, seeking, knocking. If, it's, if you see it as something you do, you'll get tired of it. But if you see it as a posture before God, that I am desperate before you, God, and my posture is that I'm always asking and seeking and knocking to a father who knows already what I need, then you're not getting tired. You know, this ties in to the very first beatitude. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you might remember, Jesus gives these eight statements. And the first one is this, blessed, happy, fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, fortunate are those who come to God bankrupt spiritually before him, saying, God, I take a posture before you. I have nothing, and everything comes from you. And now, later in the sermon, Jesus reiterates that same posture as you follow me, asking, seeking, and knocking. Things begin to change. Your prayers, your asking, seeking, knocking, it doesn't hit the ceiling. God hears, and he actually acts on your behalf. Well, that leads us to the second question. Is God so stingy that if we don't persistently beg, he won't give us what we ask, seek, or knock for? And many of us have this perspective of God, that God is this tight-fisted tightwad, and we have to pry his fingers open, you know, pry them open, and eventually he'll give us what we ask for. And you know, there's two main ways, I think, that we think that we can pry God's fingers open, because we kind of have this idea that God is this stingy tightwad. And here's two ways I think that we consider, and we think if we do this, we can pry his fingers open. The first one is we can pry his fingers open with persistency, right? Well, he said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Maybe if I annoy the divine throne room of God long enough, you'll be like, oh, I'm so annoyed with you. Fine, you know, have it, right? You can have what you want. Just stop talking to me. And we have this idea that this is how God is. If we just persistently go after him, eventually we'll get what we want. The second way we think we can pry God's fingers open is through bargaining. See, we have this idea that God actually wants something from us. And we think, well, since you want some things from me, I want some things for you, from you, so I'll just give you some of the things that I think you want from me, and then you'll give me some of the things I want from you, right? It's like God please help me get this girl. She's really cute. I really want her to like me. You know, I've been showing up in church the last few weeks. Come on, right? God, help me get this promotion. You know, I, I gave some money to that poor beggar the other day. Didn't you see that? I've been reading my Bible every night. Right? I've been tithing. And we have this idea that God wants to, that God, we can bargain with God because he's so stingy that, you know, there's some things he wants from me. So if I give him, then I can just Finger by finger, pry open his hand, and eventually he'll be like, oh, okay, fine, you can have it. And Jesus is going to push against this thought of God that we have. And he does it with two questions. Here's what Jesus asks. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, 
will give him a snake. And with these two questions, Jesus is actually prying at a deeper question that's inside of all of us. And that's this question. Is God good? I mean, really? Is he really good? And secondly, can I trust him? And the answer to the first question will be the same as the answer to the second. We have to bargain with God because the question is, is he actually good or do I have to bargain with him to get something from him? We have to persistently beg until finally he gives in because we have this question, is he actually good and can I actually trust him? The way he asks it is this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And to all of us, we're like, duh, none of us would do that. None of us would do that. I mean, that's just rude. That's no good father, no good mother would do that. And it's like Jesus does this thing where he kind of asks this question and puts an exclamation point at the same time. He says, you know, that's your view of God. Exclamation point. Or a question, is that your view of God? Or secondly, you're better than God? Question mark. Do you think you're better than God? Or do you know that your belief is that you're better than God? Exclamation point. Now none of us, as we get to know God, would say, well, I think I'm better than him. And yet that's what's underlying in this. And so he says, which of you, if your son asked for this, would give him a stone or a snake? And then he comes to the conclusion. If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. (laughs) He brings it back to us. None of us would do that. We think we're better than that. Because we are better than that. But Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, and when he says, though you are evil, he's not saying, he's saying you're depraved, but he's not saying that you can't do anything good. See, there's this common grace to all mankind, whether you believe in God or not, that we have this ability to do goodness. And yet at the same time, because he says, you know how to give good gifts, so you have this ability to do some sort of goodness, but he also says at the same time, you're evil, which means this, that because of Adam and Eve's sin, the first man and first woman sinned, that sin has been transferred onto all of us. We were born with it, which is why you don't teach your children to lie to steal or to hit their siblings. And yet they constantly lie, steal, and hit their siblings. Because we are born with this this wrongdoing, this, this sin nature. Does that mean we can't do anything good? No, Jesus said they're both true. So even though we can do some good, we aren't perfectly good. And Jesus is saying, if you then, though you're not perfectly good, you still know how to do some good. It's like, as a parent, think about this. Imagine you're a parent, some of you are. You have a five-year-old child, and they come to you, and they say, can I play video games? But you know, they've already been playing video games for seven hours that day. And you're like, no, you can't play video games. You know what's best for your child, right? If you then, though you're evil, you still know what's good. Jesus says this, and this rocks our world. This rocks 
all those doubts we have about who God is. He says this, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? How much more will your Father give good gifts to those who ask? So keep asking, seeking, knocking. Take a posture before your heavenly Father and keep asking. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, heard Jesus teach this, and he writes in his letter, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. Because God's not gonna force his goodness on you. But he says, I wanna give, and you can ask. Take this posture before me. I am pouring out goodness. So come to your heavenly father. Your prayers don't hit the ceiling. He hears, and he's good. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your father? But this leaves us with the second part of the question I asked earlier. What if God doesn't? What do we do with unanswered prayer? What do we do when we beg God for godly things, good things? And God doesn't answer our prayer. It's interesting, I think Jesus actually deals with this, but before we get to that, I wanna talk about this idea of unanswered. I put it in quotes, because I think we need to understand some things about unanswered prayer. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is a term Christians use when we pray for something and God doesn't do it the way we asked. But let's think about the logic of that. So you're that parent, remember? You're that parent, you got the five-year-old kid who asked to play video games and because you know what's best for them, you say no. Now imagine if that kid, your child, went to his his friend's house and and his friend's like, so are you allowed to play video games? No. I'm not allowed to play, uh, or I asked my mom if I could play video games, and, uh, and what did she say? She didn't answer. Is that true? No. Mom answered. She said, no. That's an answer. I think that's an answer. I don't know. I'm a parent. I feel like that's an answer. But here's the deal. This is what we do with God. We pray for things, and we ask for things, and God says no, or he says not yet, or he says wait, and we get all you know, worked up and we're like, God doesn't answer prayer. And we are tempted to leave the faith because God didn't answer our prayer. So the question is, what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we prayed it, which leaves us wondering, God, I begged you for something good. It had to have been good. And yet God says, no, wait, or not yet. I think the answer to this, how we respond is actually in verse 11. It's those first words I highlighted. How much more? See, here's the deal. You have a how much more heavenly father. You have a how much more heavenly father. You know how to give good gifts to your kids? You have a how much more heavenly father. Back to the analogy I told you before. The five-year-old kid who asked to play video games and as a parent, you say no because you know more than your child. Well, this is where it gets offensive. In that analogy, you are the five-year-old child. We are the five-year-old children. And sometimes we have this idea, and maybe you've had this idea, 
I wish God was more like a genie in a bottle, that he would come out and he'd give me everything I asked for. I think my life would be better if God gave me everything I asked for. I'll tell you right now, if God gave you everything you asked for, you would be a wreck, you would be a mess. You don't want that. And here's why. We are the five-year-old child. We don't know what's ultimately best for us. But God, your heavenly father, is a how much more heavenly father. And I don't know what kind of father you had growing up, and a lot of times when we think of God as a father, and Jesus was the first one in history who made this idea famous that God is our heavenly father. In fact, there's a a, a German theologian, Jeremiah, who did research on all prayers from ancient Israel, and none of them referred to God as father in the way that Jesus referred to God as heavenly father. And Jesus says, you have a heavenly father. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I want God to be my heavenly father because I had a terrible earthly father. Well, let me tell you this. Your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. Nothing like him. And even if you had a good earthly father, I want to tell you right now, your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. He is a how much more heavenly father. And this means when God says no, not yet, or wait, it's because he has your goodness and his glory in mind. See, your heavenly father is both good and he is good to you. So the question I want to leave you with today is, do you trust him? As you come face to face with those things you ask God for, and he didn't respond the way you'd hoped. Will you trust, as Jesus said, that you have a how much more heavenly father who's good to you? Do you trust him? You know, speaking of of the things that we often ask God for, um, we have to understand what Jesus is talking about in in terms of asking, seeking, knocking, are not necessarily the things that we think of when we think of asking, seeking, knocking. We're like, God, give me the girl. God, give me a, a pay raise. God, give me the, you know, the job. God, give me the wealth. Give me the health. Give me the fame. And you can ask for those things. And I'll tell you what, you have a how much more heavenly father. He'll figure out if he's going to give those to you or not. But in the context that Jesus is saying we need to have this posture is actually in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of God. So let me just kind of reiterate to you some of the things Jesus has been talking about. He started the sermon by talking about character of the kingdom, the Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and blessed are the merciful. These things are like, man, that's going to be really hard to do. And then he talks about the influence those who in the kingdom have. You know, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And then he talks about the morality that's in the kingdom. And he says things like, we, we now equate lust with adultery and anger with murder. In essence, Jesus says, I want your heart to be changed from the inside out. I don't care about external looks. I don't care about external transformation. I want internal transformation. It's like, whoa, I can't do that. Like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That seems so extreme. And then Jesus talks about what faith looks like actioned out. He talks about prayer and giving to the poor and fasting and, and, and building treasure in heaven and not worrying. And we have all these things that make up the kingdom. And I don't know if you felt this. I hope you felt this. But at some point, we kind of read the Sermon on the Mount. We're like, oh shoot, 
I can't do that. I can't live up to that standard. And Jesus is like, you're right. Which is why you take this posture of asking, seeking, and knocking. Because God loves to give the kingdom to those who seek it. This is why the brother of Jesus, as I read earlier, said this, you don't have because you do not ask God. And he goes on to say, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God looks at the five-year-old us and is like, "Uh, you're a little egocentric right now. But when you ask for the kingdom, God gives. He will not withhold the good news of salvation, the good life of living in his ways. So as it relates to unanswered, unanswered prayer, here's where Jesus would have us land. We know that God's no is always a result of his goodness and for ours. And every time we pray and beg and God says no, and we don't know what to do with the tension. It's a place where we are pushed to trust God as the five-year-old us to say, Heavenly Father, I don't see it, I don't understand it, but you're a how much more, Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father is both good and he is good to you. Do you trust him? Well, Jesus ends this teaching on asking, seeking, and the goodness of our Heavenly Father with a curveball. It's kind of like, whoa, Jesus, you had ADD? What's going on? But I think we'll see it ties together. Here's what Jesus says. So in everything, let me tie this all up, Jesus says. Let me put this together. Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. What? Like, all of a sudden, we just throw the golden rule in with this, like, God's a good father and you should ask, seek, and not. What does this have to do with the golden rule? Let me explain. The golden rule, in Jesus' day, in many different faiths and religious teachers of different faiths, was already around. Jesus didn't come up with it the first time. Although, almost always it was stated in the negative sense, not the positive. So it would read like this. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Which, the golden rule before Jesus came, at its very best, if you lived it out perfectly, at its best, would keep you or would leave you neutral with others, right? I just didn't do anything bad to anyone today, right? Because don't do what you don't want others to do. That's at its very best. Jesus comes along and he flips it upside down. He says, let me say this in the positive. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. This will never leave you neutral to anyone. It can't. It's said in the positive way. It's saying you, as children of your heavenly father, Jesus calls us, he calls you not to be neutral to people, he calls you to be good to people. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You have a heavenly father. How much more heavenly father who is good and he is good to you. And earlier at the end of Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, this impossible claim. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's like, oh man, that's gonna be hard because I can't. But Jesus is saying, I want you to be like your father. 
You're his children. You're the father 2.0 on earth. And so Jesus, as he finishes this segment about asking, seeking, knocking, this posture that we pray the kingdom and we receive the good things, God always gives us only what's best and good. He ends it by saying, now, because God has done this for you, you ought to do the same to others. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Be good like your father's been good to you, to those you come in contact with. Your heavenly father is both good and he's good to you. In the tension of this world where we live, in the tension where our five-year-old selves come in contact with a how much more heavenly father and we asked for things and our father didn't give them the way we asked. Do you trust him? Would you trust him? God calls you to trust him. I'm going to leave you with two questions to wrestle with from the passage. As you go home and your families, your mealtime, your small groups this week, first question is, how might it affect your prayers if you believed, actually truly believed, that you could ask for anything and you trusted that God would only be good to you? How would that affect your prayer life? How would that affect your posture before God as an asker, seeker, knocker? And secondly, what would it look like for you to be like your heavenly father and to do good toward others this week? To do to others as you would have them do to you, not to be neutral to them and simply just not do bad things, but to go beyond that, to be like your how much more heavenly father. Let me pray with you. Father, you are good Sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. The first temptation of humanity was a, a temptation from the enemy, or the devil, to question the very goodness of you, God. And we're still tempted to fall for that today. So Father, as we wrestle with this big question, God, are you good? God, may you impress on each of us, especially those of us right now, that we feel like we're, our faith is hanging on a thread God, would you give us strength? We ask. We ask for the kingdom. We ask for faith. We ask that you increase our trust. Thank you that you're a God that we can trust. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.